0: Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast. It seems hard to believe that I've reached 50 episodes already, but it seems a good time to end the second season here and take a bit of a break. I've really enjoyed doing them again and I've had some really great feedback. So maybe I'll be back. As I said, I had some really great feedback and I really appreciate some more. And this helps get the podcast out to other survivors. So please rate and leave a review where you can. Typically, this is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Podchaser. And I'd just like to say thanks to all those who have appeared on the show. Survivors, lifesavers, medical professionals and innovators. There's quite a few hours of content on here. And I hope you found something useful or entertaining in it. And if you haven't, I'd love to hear your feedback, as I said. Or if you've got some ideas for future episodes, please let me know. And I'll leave you now with today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me your host Paul Swindell. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Mark Wilson who is dual qualified in neurosurgery and pre-hospital care. He works at the Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust Group which is five London hospitals and also the Kent Surrey and Sussex Air Ambulance Trust and he is also the founder or co-founder of Good Sam, whose mission statement is to save life and stop harm through technology. And I understand the original aim of the app or system was to help those in cardiac arrest, hence my interest, or someone experiencing a similar trauma. But it's also grown impressively and expanded its services, including recently been used to manage the NHS Volunteer Responders Initiative for the coronavirus. So as her fantastic what you've been doing, Mark, and welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Paul. Thank you very
0: much. I hope that was all accurate, what I said there.
1: Yeah, I think you've covered everything now, so we can probably uh, close it all, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it very much started with cardiac arrest, and it's still very much core of what Good Sam does, but it has got a lot bigger o- over
0: the last uh, few years. How did you actually come about with the idea and what was the inspiration for it? So if you go back about six, seven years in our
1: air ambulance or pre care world, uh, we were noticing that we were going to quite a lot of patients who would have a head injury and stop breathing and they'd have... Uh, a hypoxic brain injury as a result of having a head injury. and This is a phenomenon uh, called impact brain apnea, which is well known in animal models of head injury. If animals get a a whack on the head, they stop breathing. But it also occurs in humans, but often we don't get there quick enough to see it. When we arrive, people stop breathing and their pupils dilate and, and they die. They haven't died of their brain injury per se. They've died of not breathing because of their brain injury. And what we want to do is set up a system whereby people who were qualified, who had experience in first aid, uh, off-duty doctors, nurses, paramedics, police department, could actually go and support the airway during that period. So it's really around trauma to start with. What we set up was a system that actually has a much bigger role in cardiac arrest. Uh, and our, our sort of modelling was like like you're never more than five metres from a spider. You're probably rarely more than a few hundred metres from an off-duty doctor, nurse, paramedic, policeman, someone who's trained or first aider. So we set up a system, basically was a platform, people refer to it as an app, but it's a platform really, which involves an app, uh, whereby people can be registered on the system in a highly governed way, uh, which they can be checked to know who they are. So, so what we set up was a system that would uh, connect those in need to those who can provide. So the platform has now many, many thousands of duty of, of doctors, nurses, paramedics, policemen, firemen. First aiders on the platform ready and then they are triggered by the ambulance service. So for example, if you are in the UK or large part of Australia or New Zealand now and someone with you has a cardiac arrest and someone does 999 or the equivalent number anywhere else and says certain words such as not conscious, not breathing. Then that will those determinants will trigger the Good Sam platform to whatever algorithm the ambulance service has set. So they are, the algorithm they may have set was maybe say to alert three first aiders within a, within a few hundred meter, uh, a few hundred meters, and then maybe two professionals within a uh, one kilometer region, for example, depending on where you are, urban or rural. Uh, and that response is then triggered so that whilst the ambulance is en route, someone who is good is good at high quality cpr can be doing that and hopefully getting an aed as well and using that so and that saved many 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 lives now in the well in the hundreds now so uh, it's proved pretty, it's pretty quite a, a positive platform yeah
0: yeah that's amazing that you've you can say already that you've saved hundreds of lives you you mentioned about the medical professionals but i believe lay people can be involved in it's use as well
1: yeah. So, well, yes. Yeah, so, absolutely, the system is highly governed, and you, and this is one of the big things to consider. We've one of the biggest achievements I think Good Sam has had is actually affecting cultural change. So, if you go back six years, going to an ambulance service and saying, "Hey, um, why don't you dispatch people into other people's homes when they're the most vulnerable person they can be?" i.e., you know, unconscious, they were, they were absolutely not. That was not considered a possibility because it just went against everything you know all staff are dbs checked and uh, they know exactly who they're alerting so to be able to alert someone that never that wasn't even employed by them to a an emergency was something that just a lot of ambulance services wouldn't consider However, because we set the system up in a highly governed way, where people had to upload their ID, their work ID, if they're a doctor, they get checked off against the GMC register or paramedic against the HTPC register, or if they're a member of the public, they have to upload their sort of driving license or, um, or, or passport or similar proof of identification, identification and their first aid certificate. It's highly governed, and therefore that gave them confidence to be able to deploy these people. And they also have complete control, so they can, say, deploy staff over a, a wider radius than... Public who can be, for example, deployed only over maybe 100, 200 meters. So, literally, the public is being alerted to their next door neighbor. So, it makes it very, very safe. And, um, yeah, so that's one way that the public can get involved. If you've got any first aid qualifications or you can, you've been able to, you've been trained to do CPR, then you can register, upload your certificate, and then join the platform and be deployed. It does depend on where you live. Different ambulance services have different criteria and different models. If you're in New Zealand, for example, they're really happy to self, uh, to alert self-certifying people, but they're over a narrow radius. So actually, it makes it very safe. It literally is to people within a couple of doors of your house. But there, there's all kinds of ways you can set the algorithm up. And the other way that the public can help is we've managed to create the world's largest AED registry or database. And that's very much through the Good Sam community. And when people see an AED, a defibrillator, they can take a picture of it, upload it through the app. And then that will then go onto our mapping system and we, sh- we give all that data to the statutory ambulance service for the region. We can check it's where it is. We check it where it is, but using Google Earth and various other clever little ways we've got of making sure it really is there. But yeah, the Good Sam community has been not only instrumental in the response to cardiac arrest, but also mapping AEDs. We, we are extremely lucky to have uh, found this really amazing group of people.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of passion about AEDs, aren't there? But um, perhaps we can just come back onto that a little bit. But the the actual users or responders, who are you finding that um, takes up this sort of app?
1: Yeah, so um, we've got a full breadth of people everywhere, everything from professors of cardiology to you know many many NHS staff and police and fire staff who is part of their statutory training to be able to do this, obviously, and then people who have been trained for example in shops where uh, they have been trained on a first aid at work course and they'll upload their certificate and then many of the third sector sort of bodies such as St John Ambulance, Royal Life Saving Society, Red Cross many of them are are on the platform as organizations that approve their members and then they can
0: be deployed as well so if someone was wanted to be on this and they sign up does it mean that they can get alerted at any time during the day or or do they clock on as it were so no so this isn't like an on-call system or anything like that so we do provide that as
1: well there is an on-duty button for example which is for mostly for community first responders so if they are looking after their community officially by the ambulance service from 8 a.m on a Saturday morning till say 8 p.m on a Saturday afternoon evening rather they can log on duty and off duty and they will be dispatched to many other types of emergency such as shortness of breath epilepsy and other things as well However, the basic function is to be not dispatched, but alerted to uh, cardiac arrest. And if you're locked into the app, that's always on because you don't really want to be on and off duty. If your next door neighbor is having a cardiac arrest, it doesn't really matter whether you're on or off duty. If you're available, you're going to go. And so uh, that's always on only for cardiac arrest. Now, obviously, if you are uh, there's, there's a code of conduct, which is very much built with our advisory board. If you are drunk, if you are in the shower, if you are you know, looking after the kids, if you're at work, there's lots of reasons why you might not be able to go to a cardiac arrest that's say around the corner and that's okay you're only being alerted to it. it's like someone's shouting for help and you may or may not hear that shout for help Uh, the ambulance is still on the way so that's alerting as opposed to dispatching which is where if you are on duty you are dispatched and you are the resource that is going to help that so it's really more this is the function we're describing it's the alerting function If people want to be on that and be uh, notified of something that's near them that they can help with, then that's fantastic. But there is no compulsion to go.
0: And you mentioned um, being dispatched by the ambulance service there. So presumably you're integrated into ambulance trust somehow, because presumably people, if they they're with someone and they go into a, a cardiac arrest, they should still phone 999, should they?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, and start CPR and, and uh, get an AD. None, none of that changes. This is just a supplementary thing. But yes, we're integrated to the ambulance services pretty much across the UK. And as I say, all across New Zealand, now large parts of Australia and other parts of the world as well, and Africa and other places.
0: And are, are we seeing any, well, you say you save uh, hundreds of people. Uh, do we see the benefits in the stats in, in the UK and these other countries at the moment?
1: So it's always very difficult to determine what cause and effect in this so there are many other initiatives going on in terms of you know increasing aed prevalence and 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 other ways of trying to improve all the way through to sort of on-scene ecmo so there's lots of things that's trying to improve cardiac arrest response and we're beginning to see some effects of that i mean uh, it depends on where you look and it depends on how well implemented the system is some some ambulance services are able to implement it a lot better than others and I think it, it requires a huge amount of work to, in terms of public engagement to get a really good uptake of responders. And then when you've got a high density of responders, that's where you start to see it making a bigger difference. So if you take somewhere like Ambulance Victoria, for example, in Australia, they, they've had really good campaigns and have got a very uh, dedicated um, group of responders on the system working very well. And in some parts of the UK, that's similar too. But in other parts, it just takes a bit more,
0: uh, and it's a bit more of a process. It's just taking time to roll out. Does it prove to be more effective in certain types of scenario in in cities and things like that? So we haven't had the data to really be able to analyse it in any kind of confirmatory way. And part
1: of that is because we rely on ambulance services to follow patients up. We can't actually follow them up ourselves. And some ambulance services are very, very good at that. And some of them don't have the capacity to do that. So we're working with a number of institutions around the world to try and analyse that data better. Personally, I suspect that it will have we, we know of survivors in all circumstances in, you know, in central london all the way through to very rural areas as a result of good sam and someone arriving sooner my personal thinking is is that it probably makes a bigger difference in more rural areas because they're the ones where an ambulance takes longer to get to uh, and often in a village for example you might have a I know policemen and off-duty dent, you know, dentist and other people around who can go and help and look after that vision. There's a, and, then, and then an AED in the local village post box, phone box rather. So it can work in those sorts of areas. Whereas in, say, central London, actually, there's a very fast paramedic response unit that's going to come pretty quickly anyway. So I suspect the benefit is probably greater in more rural areas. But I don't know that
0: it would be uh, interesting to find out when you get your data analyzed because i was speaking to professor terry brown of the out of hospital cardiac arrest um registry outcomes uh, outcomes registry sorry and he he they had a sort of sub project and they found that AEDs placed within 300 meters of a a school, I think it was, 40% of cardiac arrest cases could have been reached by that AED, which is quite a staggering sort of statistic, really, when you you realise how many or how few of AEDs that are out in the public actually get used. So if they were placed better, we could use them more.
1: I I mean, it is there is an element about placing, there's an about an element of. Universality of them. So, for example, you take Heathrow Airport. You know, your chance of survival in Heathrow Airport are over eighty percent because there's an AD at every other gate, as opposed to nine percent on the streets of London. So, it's not just about placing them, but it's having them cheap enough uh, so that so that they can be more liquid. They can be all over the show, and that's going to happen over time. That, that definitely is going to happen.
0: Definitely. I, I, earlier on my uh, series, I spoke to a maker of an AED called Heart Hero and in, in the States and they're hoping to bring one out for about five or £600 pounds later this year. And I've also since then spoken to another uh, person who's producing a low-cost AED, which they hope to have for around £200. Pounds. So when they start hitting that price point, I think we're going to start seeing them everywhere and people will have them as a a domestic appliance as it were and i believe your system can cater for that
1: yeah yeah so we've mapped uh, we've mapped uh, many many thousands of ADs. not only do we map them in terms of static ads we also track ADs. so if people have an A D on them they can say that they've got an A D with them and then our system will know where they are and so that maps many sort of police cars that carry ADs and buses that carry ads and things like that. we can do all that
0: Okay. Uh, How many AEDs do we have on your database and how many in the UK? Because I take it your database is worldwide. Yeah, so I I haven't looked recently to give you the exact numbers, but we're
1: talking in the sort of, if it's not quite, it's 100,000 plus mark overall. But I haven't looked exactly. And and also it changes all the time because some people have them on them and some people don't have them on them. So the mobile one goes up and down a bit.
0: You have got some other impressive stats on your website. I'm not sure if you're quite up up to date with them or whether they are actually up to date, but you've got almost one and a half million users and one and a half million alerts. I guess that's per year or is that overall? What you're seeing now on the website is for
1: everything. So, as I said to you before, we're doing cardiac arrest is one thing, we're doing a lot of other stuff. In terms of cardiac arrest, we probably trigger to a cardiac arrest worldwide probably once every three minutes. Whereas there's a lot more other things going on. So the probably the biggest thing we are doing is the three quarters of a million people who are volunteer responders for the COVID response, which you mentioned at the beginning. So we are deploying many, many thousands of people each day to help other people provide you know, for either food or collect pharmacy, uh, pharmacy stuff or um, check in and chat volunteers or deliver patients to hospitals. So we're doing lots of other things connecting those in need with those who can provide. In addition to cardiac arrest, so that's so it's not that what one whatever it was is not all just cardiac arrest alerts.
0: I, I can imagine. that I was going to come on to that NHS responder thing. I can imagine that was quite a challenge for you to bring about a system like that in a very short space of time. Has has that uh, been a challenge, and or were you already set up for that, and did it have any impact on your current sort of systems?
1: No, so so there's a couple of things going on. So the NHS approach uh, approached us because. As far as I'm aware, we're probably the only geolocating volunteer system out there, as I say, to match those in need with those who can provide in a geolocatable manner. So that's why we were approached. And our system was really around doing, as I say, cardiac arrest, but and a few other things as well. So what they wanted to do was us to modify our platform to be able to do other responses specifically around COVID. And so, yes, we very had to very rapidly provide uh, some functionality around that. But the system went live and we've done, you know, it's been absolutely fine. And just to give you an idea, when we had the three quarters of a million people, what well, was actually more than three quarters of a million people that applied, at uh, the maximum rate of application, there were 4,000 applications per second of people trying to join the volunteer army. And we handled all that and put that through to the Royal Voluntary Services who, who, who check off people and make sure they are either DBS checked or uploaded their passport or driving license. And that's how they got on the platform. But so it was, it had to, it was busy. Yeah. We had to do a lot of work to get it all working, but it all worked absolutely fine. If we go back three months, we didn't quite know which way COVID was going to go. And in that, in the peak that's happened, there has been a huge amount of volunteer effort and support uh, of communities around them. And, it's, and, and, and some of that is going away a little bit now in terms of what people need, but actually uh, the, it's going to carry on, A, because COVID is not going to go away, and also because people are still going to need to shield if they're going to go into hospital or anything like that.
0: So the system is still uh, extremely active. I can imagine it provides a, a sort of a win-win scenario as well for these people, perhaps who have been furloughed or made redundant. It gives them a purpose to be able to help someone else, and gives them a way of giving back to society.
1: Yeah, and 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 obviously that depends on where you are, because if you live in an area where there are there's many community services then actually this national kind of deployment thing isn't needed so much. If you live in an area where there isn't much community services, then this is used hugely. So you do see a spread of people saying, some people say, why haven't I been why haven't I been used? Well actually it's probably because either there isn't enough people around you who need help or you've got good community service around you, which is fantastic. But other people are being used extensively because actually they don't, there's not necessarily such a, such a, uh, an availability around them. But as I say, it's being used for all kinds of things now. The probably the biggest thing it's being used is for is just, you know, helping people who are lonely, checking in and chat calls to make sure that people, you know, just have a general chat and make sure that people who are, who have been isolated for many weeks and months oh. now actually uh, are at least getting to socialize and, you know, just be active from a mental point of view.
0: You talked about the other services, community volunteer services. Can you see this being a hub for all of those and bringing them all together so that there's just one place where volunteers are disseminated from?
1: Um, so, yeah, that's happening in, in many ways. and it, And yes, I can see that. And there's some things that it's suitable for. And there's some things that it's probably not so suitable for. So I'm just trying examples so here. There's you know there's still actually just looking after your neighbours, which you know is a thing that everyone should do. Uh, but the world has changed somewhat over the last you know 20, 30 years, and maybe we haven't been looking after our neighbours as, as we probably did in years gone past. It may be that technology now is a way of doing that uh, in the same way that Tinders out there and Ubers out there maybe a good Sam is that to the third sector. Uh, And certainly we've got many organizations on on the platform now, as I say, across the whole third sector, really, who are providing some of their services through this.
0: You're not going to have the option on there to swipe right or swipe left on a cardiac arrestor.
1: It's not going to be like that. It's, it's, so, I mean, the thing about this is, is that it's a, it's a voluntary thing. So if you are able to do whether it, whether it be cardiac arrest or whether it be helping someone, you know, shopping or anything like that, it's all voluntary. And the way the system is set up is that if you're able, you can go and help. That's fantastic. If you're unable or you ignore it or you're in the shower so you don't hear it or whatever it might be, uh, then within 20 seconds, the next person closest will get an alert. So it will keep moving through. So it's not the end of the world if you can't go. There's, pl- we now have from, from a from a point of view of volunteers, we have probably someone on virtually every street in the UK or in in England at least. So actually, don't worry. There's plenty of people around, and we're hoping to get that sort of level with cardiac arrest as well, and then that will make a big
0: difference. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. I mean, one other thing I see in the sort of cardiac arrest survivor community is, you know, people saying, oh, how how the stars are aligned or everything was really serendipitous that there happened to be a, a doctor or a nurse who was driving by or someone who was near. Well, you're, you're going to make that even more of a reality really, aren't you? Because those people are, are going to hear, they're going to know about it.
1: That's the exact purpose of it. It's to um, increase the likelihood that someone will be there earlier. And if they're there, a minute earlier that's a 10 percent increase in survival it's massive so and we're talking you know huge numbers as well so even a small percentage of increase in survival it will make a big difference in terms of numbers
0: i mean you're not only getting people there quicker but you also got a facility within your system that can do live video streaming i believe
1: Yeah, so this is a separate sort of thing. It doesn't require any apps and it's being used for lots of things other than cardiac arrest. And it's being used by the ambulance services and the police services. And it's the ability to open up anyone's cameras remotely on their phone without the need for an app. So there's no need to download Skype or FaceTime or any of those things or Zoom. You just, you just send them a link. They click the link. They get there and we can see what's going on. And that has a huge implication for resource dispatch because you can then see how sick someone looks or how how big the fire is or, the burglary or whatever it is that's going on and then you know what kind of resource to deploy so that's one aspect of it it's, it makes means that you can get there quicker if, if it's more serious than you might have thought over over the actual audio call then you deploy a better you know a more advanced resource more quickly and you can save resource for when you need it uh, that's one aspect but the other aspect of it is actually being able to utilize people who are around to provide earlier care so that can be from anything from, oh, look, you need to run your hand under the water, it's burned, for example, all the way through to cardiac arrest. Uh, and there's been some great work done um, in Copenhagen, which has shown that by opening up people's cameras, you can do video-assisted CPR, and you can advise the caller where to put their hands. You're you're too high up, you're too low down, and start compression. No, you're too fast, you're too slow, and play the metronome out loud to them so they can hear it. So actually, you can improve CPR quality by seeing what's being happening, even before you get there. So, that, again, there's lots of exciting stuff around the use of video in these in scenarios.
0: So, you said you just send a link. Does, does the person need to have the uh, Good Sam app on their phone already? No apps. There's no apps. And we locate
1: them as well. There's absolutely no apps involved. That's the beauty of it. It's quick, it's under 10 seconds, and you can
0: see what's going on. That's fantastic. I can see that being you know, a, a game changer, essentially, isn't it? Like you say, in terms of CPR. It very much is. It, it, and it very
1: much is in, in all fields of any kind of emergency, and not just emergency, but actually even sort of less acute, uh, sort of people who've got a rash. Oh, let's have a quick look. Oh, don't worry about that. That just looks like a, you know, or, or actually, no, that could be meningitis or, 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 or measles, whatever it might be. You can actually begin to make a bit of better diagnosis.
0: Are there any security concerns around that?
1: So, no, everything we've done is – like, well, our governance is absolutely top-notch. Everything here is highly secure. So it's all, you know, TS1.2, AS256 encrypted, it meets all GDPR requirements. It is absolutely – and to handle, you know, the, you know, the 3, million people we've had to handle for the NHS volunteering system, the system is – security is absolutely a priority, and it meets all the requirements that are out there.
0: I mean, I see on your website you're saying you're doing 80,000 videos a month. That's pretty staggering. So that, yeah, so that's
1: across everything. So that's across police, fire, ambulance, and also clinically as well. A lot of people use, um, this and a thing that we run called clinic.co as a uh, online consultation platform. And it's a similar thing, or well, it's the same thing really, but more for hospital
0: use and more for GP use. And so that's, so yeah, it's, it's busy. I imagine that the, the Good Sam brand as it's getting bigger and taking off is sort of opening up all sorts of other avenues for you. When you started this, could you ever imagine the sort of things that you're going to be able to do that you are doing now? And also, where is it going to take you next?
1: Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think we did actually, I mean, we've been planning a lot of this stuff for the, well, we've been running this stuff for a long while. The video stuff we've been doing for two years, way pre-COVID, it's culture change. And that's the thing that takes time. So, you know, we changed the culture with cardiac arrest response in terms of deploying or uh, alerting non-staff members. And similarly, video, a lot of resistance to video. But now, because of COVID, actually has a lot of um, enthusiasm for video. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of, of what we develop and people being accepting of it. So, so so we've been doing what we've been doing for quite a while, as I say. And, then, and what we're doing in the future, there's tons of stuff now in the world of drones and other technological advances that, very nicely integrate with what we're with the sort of platform that we have and so yeah so the future is really really exciting always innovating artificial intelligence stuff there's all kinds of things going on
0: what can you see any uh, obvious wins that you're going to be looking for next if you look at what makes
1: difference in most things in medicine it's not actually a drug a magic drug or anything like that it's usually logistics or a system change. So if you want to save cardiac arrest patient, more cardiac arrest patients, it's not about adrenaline or a new wonder drug or anything like that. It's about getting people there quicker to do CPR and to use an AD and then getting to the right hospital quickly to have their angioplasty or whatever it might be. And so what we need to do is get this kind of platform out more universally, more people on board, improve the response rates so that actually everyone gets someone starting CPR within a minute and a half, two minutes and 80s. And then we can get up to the, then you're getting up to the cardiac arrest survivors that you have in, um, Heathrow airport and things like that. So, so it's not, it's not just about developing new stuff. It's actually about embedding, making sure the stuff that you have is being used properly. And that's for cardiac arrest. And it's the same for video. Uh, it's there. People need to use it. People need to become skilled in using it. And then they will be, better at deploying people deploying and uh, giving advice over the over video so actually embedding some of this stuff is also really important
0: some of the other places where they have got very good cardiac arrest um, outcome uh, success rates like in uh, the scandinavian countries and netherlands and uh, seattle county and in the states are they user, using technology um, like Good Sam? Are there are there equivalents of it, or are yeah, you going to get into are, those? there
1: are other people other around who are doing similar alerting systems. The only thing I'd say that's different about Good Sam is is that ours is really highly governed. Um, by that I mean, you know, everyone who's on the platform is know you know who they are. So it gives the ambulance services here in Australia and New Zealand and other places the confidence to use it not just for public but for private addresses as well and so so yeah but there are other places that are doing versions of a similar sort of thing
0: you talked about all the ads that you've got on your system can people uh, it's, it's a common thing that people want to see where they are on a map and i know there is a, a british heart foundation and nhs initiative to uh, the circuit to build this map but i think it's only available for the ambulance uh, trusts. you've got aeds on your map and i know you can see them within the map on, on your app but can people see them outside of that app so uh, so
1: if you uh, download the good time alert app which is a way of triggering the platform if you're with someone who's having a cardiac arrest as well as dialing 999, dials 999 for you that displays the aeds on that in a location-based uh, way so you can see the aeds that are around you like all things about uh, to do with data there's governance processes and consent issues around who owns that data so i say as i say we map it all but actually we give all that data away to the statutory ambulance services for the region and then they let us display it but we display it in a location controlled way so it's not a massive map that someone could potentially for example then contact all the uh, people who hold aeds and try and sell them new aeds and things like that it's not for that reason it's it's a controlled data and it's not our data to show really as i say it's the ambulance services and we uh, our advisory board goes through uh, how we do that so yes if you download the alert app you can see where they are but it's not a big map of the uk or anything like that
0: and my last question which you sort of answered it was going to be what is success in 10 years time what would what would be uh you know the champagne popping and all of that sort of stuff for you
1: well, we haven't really thought of, like, an end point. It's more just making sure this gets embedded and used well. And to be honest, we get a champagne sort of feeling every time we hear of someone who survived. That's just amazing. So the more that happens, the better, I guess. And, you know, when we start to see big differences in the numbers of survivors and that can be attributed through this system for cardiac arrest, then that would be um, fantastic. But there's many more things. Cardiac arrest is, is one part, as I say. But actually, people who have epilepsy or shortness of breath, or people who are getting—I know—in an assault type situation, they're using video for the police and they stop the assault. There's many other things apart from cardiac arrest that actually where benefit can be given as well, and and lives saved. Many lives saved actually through this process, not just cardiac arrest. But the cardiac arrests are is, is where we started, and it's always very very special and core to, to everything we do.
0: Fantastic Mark and thank you very much for your time and I know you're a very busy man and thanks very much again for letting us know all about Good Sam and I hope many people who are listening will go and have a look at the app and sign up for it if they're qualified and if you're not qualified go and get a qualification. So thanks very much, Mark, again. Thank you Paul. This concludes this episode of the Life After arrest podcast. And I'd love to know what you think. And you can do that via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the website SuddenCardiacArrestUK.org and you can find us by googling Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK or the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast. If you have found value in this or other episodes, please help spread the word by leaving a review on your podcast provider such as Apple or wherever is convenient. And don't forget, if you want to know more about Life After Cardiac Arrest, check out our books, Life After Cardiac Arrest On Amazon. Make sure you click subscribe, and I'll speak to you next time.